Welcome, friends, to the True Myth Media Podcast, discussion on film from a Christian millennial perspective. I'm your host, Michael McDonald. And I'm Seth Steele. And today we've got another rundown episode for you, going over what we've been watching the last week, some of what we've been reviewing on the website. Uh, Seth, you've been going through the 31 Nights of Thrills. Uh, do you want to get us started with true. some of those movies? Sure. Uh, so on Monday, we posted reviews for The Lost Boys and Vampire's Kiss, both uh, cult classics from the 80s uh, dealing with vampires. Um, Lost Boys was very underwhelming. I'd, I've heard about this movie for forever, and like it's just, it did nothing for me at all. I was like, yeah, I've, whatever. <laughs> I've never seen it. I've seen clips of it here and there. Yeah. Uh, I know that lots of people like it. it. Yeah. It just never grabbed my attention at all. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. I feel like I uh, I kept looking down at my phone throughout the entire thing, with even like within the first half hour, and that's always a bad sign because I try to make myself like avoid looking at my phone for the first half hour usually, and then uh, if it gets bad, <laughs> I'll kind of <laughs> let myself uh, do that. But yeah, this movie just didn't hold my attention at all. Okay, um, so what about Vampire's Kiss? Vampire's Kiss is one of the funniest Nick Cage movies I've seen. Um, <laughs> like all the movie. Nick Cage rage uh, memes that you've seen, probably a lot of them stem from this movie and uh if you're a fan of nick cage i absolutely yeah. recommend this one i think we might have talked about this on the show a little while ago yeah, actually when, when people talk about um like crazy nick cage performances i always ask them if they've seen last vampire or, or last vampires vampire's kiss. kiss yeah and if they haven't I'm just like, man, you don't even know. Yeah. You don't even know what Nick Cage can do until you see that movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, funny story behind why I wanted to go see it. Uh, I think we actually talked about this interview specifically yeah, on the, the show GQ before. Interview. Yeah, the GQ one where he kind of does uh, like a rundown of all of his movies. And he talked about how this movie was uh, going to be his laboratory for what he could get away with pretty much. Yeah. Um, and he tried to channel a bunch of like German expressionist people, uh, like silent film acting and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, he changes his voice so that he sounds like very debonair and it sounds awful, but it's really <laughs> funny throughout. Um, yeah, I don't know. I really enjoyed this movie, but I can't say it's a good movie. Like, it's oh, just no, it's not a good movie, but it is thoroughly ridiculously enjoyable. entertaining. So, uh, yeah, if you like Nick Cage, I would absolutely recommend that one. It's pretty funny. Um, and then I also watched, uh, well, posting tomorrow, actually, our reviews for... Oh, shoot. You know what? I skipped over to uh, The Guest and Sleep Tight, uh, which are both movies about the stranger you know, kind of. Okay. Uh, the Guest uh, stars... Is that the Paul Walker one? No. It has Dan Stevens. Oh, okay. Um, And then the girl from uh, Makia Monroe or whatever from Maweka Monroe. I can't remember her name. Uh, From It Follows, that girl. Oh, okay. So it has those two people. Maka. Make a Monroe. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Um, but they're both in it. It's a pretty decent movie. It's a lot of fun. Um, it's written. I can't remember who wrote it, but he wrote a couple other things too. Um, yeah, that was really helpful. But no, it's just kind of like a fun action horror movie that kind of bends genres. Um, it has kind of an 80s vibe, uh, like a lot of uh, horror movies that you're seeing nowadays kind of do. Yeah. Um, pretty good. I wouldn't say it's the best like horror movie I've ever seen, but Dan Stevens is pretty great in it. Um, and then Sleep Tight, we've talked about this on the show before too. This is the, I think it's Spanish film 
that uh, is about a concierge that is depressed and it's his goal in life to make everybody miserable. Oh, yeah. Um, this movie's fantastic. I absolutely recommend it. I think it's on Amazon right now. So, oh, really? Um, yeah, check that one out. It's great. Well, actually, first, we're going to go back in time to last week. Whoa. Because <laughs> I forgot to mention one of the movies in there, and I actually made reference to the movie still in the episode because I said <laughs> we were talking about movies that were kind of like almost there, and I was like, yeah. oh, my next movie is almost there, and then I never talked about <laughs> The Terminal. Okay, yeah, and this was one that I was interested in because yeah, Simon a, Pegg, right? Uh, Simon Pegg, Margot, Margot Robbie, Robbie, and uh, Mike, Mike Myers, Myers, too. Yeah, and uh, it's it's on DVD right now. That's how I know of it because mm-hmm. I've walked past it a million times at Family Video, and then we were watching a movie, and it was on the previews, and I actually thought it looked pretty good. It had yeah. pretty good sense of style, um, kind of a neon um, – I don't know how you how you put neo noir kind of yeah it looked kinda, almost like that I feel like but yeah and it's it's almost a good movie okay like uh, I really enjoyed most of this movie actually okay um I feel like the movie lets you down by not being as for lack of a better phrase I guess as lofty as it could have been okay uh. Like the movie starts with Simon Pegg and he's at a at a uh, um uh, underground uh, tube station. Yeah, I don't know why I'm talking like a British person, but <laughs> I mean it is a British movie. So mind the gap. Yeah, <laughs> like he's at the underground. <laughs> <laughs> so he's he's standing there and uh, he's like waiting for a train, uh, and he doesn't look happy. Okay. Um, and he ends up talking to uh, Mike Myers, who plays a janitor, and he sends him to this cafe to wait for uh, wait for the train. And it's kind of like this one like diner that's open all night that's at one of the platforms. So he goes over there. Margot Robbie is the proprietor or waitress or whatever at this place. Okay. And she ends up getting in this long conversation with him, and she she's she's really the main character of the movie, I think. Um, and you find out that he is a, an English teacher who has just gotten a diagnosis that he's going to die. He's not sure how long it's going to take or anything like that. Um, he just knows that his death is coming. And they get in this interesting conversation about how if you know that your death is coming and um, you don't have any like loved ones around, like shouldn't you just like kind of go out with a bang? You know, yeah. like don't she, she said, you know, she says, like, don't just like drift away. Mm-hmm. You know, do so, and they they start uh, like kind of coming up with this elaborate scheme of like how he should kill himself so that it is like the most poetic thing. Like you know, oh, an English professor, you know, impaled upon his fountain pen, and you know, like <laughs> something ridiculous, like right, that. right? Yeah. And in that regard, the movie's great. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to be all about like contemplating your death, and you know, you can kind of feel. Why I like this movie, yeah. but this part of it is it's about these lofty questions, and that's what I like in my art films and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I like, you know, Bergman and Tarkovsky yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And it kind of felt like, oh man, he's on this mysterious train station that feels like, is it a real train station or is this just a metaphor for like crossing over into the next life? And I'm starting to ask myself some of these symbolic questions and what are the metaphors are that are at play? Yeah. And then it turns out that it's none of that. It's just a train station. Um, and Margot Robbie is just like a person who's on like a revenge thing. 
Okay. And it just ends up being kind of a normal story. Oh, that's too bad. And I was like, oh, man, I wish that hadn't happened. I wish that it, it had kept this, like, mysterious, um, I don't know, kind of philosophical thing going on. Yeah. Um, instead of delving into all of a sudden it's like that part of the movie stopped um, with about 15 to 20 minutes left. And it got less interesting to me then. Okay. So, yeah, I don't know. I still think it's kind of worth a watch. Yeah. Um, You know, for for people like you, I I don't think that most people are going to really get a lot out of this movie. Yeah, that's fair. So next I've got uh, Telma and Carrie, which are pretty much the same movie, actually. Um, And they're both decent. Yeah, because I've seen Telma on the wall at work. I heard people say that it was good. Yeah. Um, It's decent. Uh, I mean, it's, I think it's Icelandic. So, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty much the story of Carrie, which if you know the story of Carrie, it's about this, uh, girl who is, uh, telekinetic, uh, and she ends up, uh, kind of having an awakening, uh, when she has her first period and she gets asked to the prom and then things go wrong when somebody plays a prank on her and she just kind of kills everybody. Um, (laughs) well, she has a very overbearing mother and all that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that goes into Carrie and actually I really love Carrie. Actually, I didn't realize it until I rewatched it a second time. I had watched this movie once in high school and I think it was on in the background at like a party. I feel like there's another one that I need to rewatch. Yeah. Um, and I was just like, okay, that's whatever. It's fine. I don't understand why people say that it's scary. Um, I still don't think it's incredibly terrifying, but as uh, a film, it's really, really well done. Like Brian De Palma, man, like Chad, no, (laughs) our friend Chad is really into Brian De Palma. Um, but I've been watching a couple of his films actually recently. Like I watched sisters recently, uh, dressed to kill and Carrie, and all of those. I was like, wow, this guy knows what he's doing behind a camera. Um, like he does a lot of split screen stuff that I really liked. Um, a lot of like where focus is, uh, in the foreground, but also in the background. Yeah. Where you split. Focus yep. So you had to like yeah. do a matting for it. Um, but there's a, there's like a lot of other really cool stuff that he does. Um, there's a set that literally sinks into the ground at the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah I that's was a really impressive. Like, yeah. Like now that I've, I've worked on movies and I think about like, especially back then, like practicals and stuff. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, like it looks like they built this entire set, and I don't know if they had two different versions, like for an interior and an exterior or whatever, but I mean, it, it looks great. The entire yeah. thing is awesome. Um, And I mean, it's one of Stephen King's one, like Stephen King's movies, and it's probably one of the better ones, except for like yeah. The Shining. But yeah, uh, Telma is the same thing, except uh, it's, it's set where she is having kind of a sexual awakening, so she realizes she's not into guys, she's into girls. Um, and there are like one or two really, really cool scenes in this. Um, she smokes pot at a party and like, she can feel the energy around her. Um, and that scene is freaking fantastic. Um, but there, like a bunch of the other stuff. It just, I was just like, okay, this just feels like the same thing that I've already seen before. They're not really doing too much new with the material. Um, but her powers were a lot cooler than Carrie's. Um, and it looked better. So, so I she'd mean, make a better superhero. Yeah. But maybe not. But I mean, it's 40 years later too. So I'm like, you guys had 40 years to come up with new stuff and you pretty much came up with the exact same thing <laughs> as Carrie. So, um, yeah, I was kind of split on it. I thought it was okay as a movie. Um, if you haven't seen Carrie, you'll probably like it a lot more than I did though. <laughs> um, and then Thursday, I've got a double feature of Cronenberg. So the fly and dead ringers, uh, 
two of my favorites of his actually yeah, and the fly is the only one that i think i've seen of cronenberg yeah and he it's great i love the yeah, fly it's, it's fantastic um so many gory makeup effects on that movie it's ridiculous but uh you still have heart for jeff goldblum's character mm-hmm. even though he's like literally falling apart and like vomiting on people's legs and stuff like <laughs> oh, that <gosh. laughs> um dead ringers is another you just reminded me why i haven't rewatched this movie oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah that's why i gravitate to cronenberg though for like the weird <laughs> body horror stuff it's great um but actually i well now that i say that i actually like his psychological stuff better and that's what dead ringers is um that's yeah about i remember you kind of going yeah. in depth into this one on the show and yep. this is one i'm definitely interested in seeing. yeah i uh, definitely i definitely recommend that one i think that's my favorite cronenberg movie so um cool. but i've got to go through a couple more again but uh vampire oh nice yeah um have you seen that dryer one? yeah i have yeah. actually okay, cool. it's really I didn't, good i didn't know if you did it for the 31 thrills nope or not. i didn't actually okay, cool. so, but you've but seen yeah, it yeah i have seen it yeah uh so i watched ordet a few weeks ago and so now i'm kind of like working my way through dryer yeah and uh vampire is one of his like that one and uh the passion of joan of arc are like the ones that if you've heard of his movies, you've probably heard of those two. Yep. I, I remember watching Passion of Joan of Arc and then immediately watching Vampire <laughs> or Vampire yeah. afterwards. But yeah, it, they're both really good. Uh, yeah. I don't know if it's pronounced Vampire or Vampire, whatever. Yeah. I just, for some reason, I've always read it Vampire. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know how I feel about this movie. Like, it's... The it's special effects in it are what make it, I feel like. Oh, but that's yeah. just me. There's, okay. Like a bunch of shadows that kind of yeah, creep so and crawl. And, I oh, think man. One, one of the things that if you're going to see this movie, uh, try and divorce yourself from the idea of what you think vampire movies are like. Yeah, or what you think is scary. I think because this movie is like even the vampire lore that they talk about because there's lots of written text in this movie too yeah there is um, well it's a silent film isn't it or there's yeah. like little bits of it's mostly silent yeah but um like if you read the text and everything uh, i actually watched a version that the criterion collection put out years ago where they uh basically tried to simulate the title cards that are that were normally in danish Oh, okay, cool. Uh, but they're in English now. Okay, so awesome. um, it's it's really well done. It's almost seamless, and I, uh, the lore of vampires in those books is just different than maybe what we're used to today. Yeah, like they're a lot more, um, like occultish, and into like actually worshiping Satan and having like. I don't remember much of this actually. No, yeah. I guess I remember the first couple of scenes really well. Cause I remember like him kind of walking through the fog and yeah. like the shadows moving without like people being there and stuff like that. Yeah. And that's but... really cool because uh, basically it's this guy who um, there's just this weird presence. This, uh, there's something going on and uh, he, he realizes something weird is going on beyond just like people dying mm-hmm. because he starts noticing shadows that are moving strangely yep um apart from their owners yeah like Almost, peter pan yeah how he and, lost his shadow and it is super well done yeah and I, that's the part that stood out to me the most amazing. honestly yeah and uh that that's fantastic yeah <laughs> uh the rest of the movie i don't know like it's just I kind of wanted it to be able to communicate that terror more than it did. I wasn't 
I just yeah. didn't feel it the way that I was hoping that I would feel it. And I know that part of that is just because it's an old movie and their <laughs> ideas of what's... like the 20s or... Yeah. Or is it... Yeah, late it's 20s, It's like from the right? 30s, I Okay, think. early 30s. Or, yeah, isn't it 30... I'm going to just look this up while we're talking Yeah, about but it's about. like... it. It's got kind of those old ideas of what's scary and what's not. And um, obviously, like, what you can show and what you can't show. Um, and it ends... It ended up just because of that feeling very... I don't know, like half a movie almost. And and actually, I mean, it's only like an hour long. Yeah. So even more, it felt like half a movie. Uh, it's not a bad movie by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Um, but it, I don't think this one's my cup of tea personally. Okay. Yeah. So that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. What year was it? Thirty-two. Thirty-two. So okay. did you did you watch Nosferatu ever, or have you seen that one? I. I've seen it a long time ago. I need to rewatch it. Okay. Um, Cause I'd be interested to hear like your comparisons between vampire and Nosferatu to see if you like either of those or like, cause I didn't find Nosferatu terrifying, but I did think like Max Shrek's performance in it was pretty crazy. And I honestly, th- like I honestly find it a- as like a good movie still. Well, and also like, keep in mind, like we've talked about this extensively between the two of us that like, I'm not the biggest horror movie fan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, in general. What? Uh, yeah, like it's. <laughs> I like some of them. Yeah, they're, they're okay, but it's not a thing that I normally go out of my way for. But I was like, you know, it's Halloween. This is a classic. This is uh, a director that I'm interested in. I'll give it a shot. Um, I definitely think it's a good movie. I'd still probably call it a four star movie. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's good. That's awesome. All right, so I did uh, Conjuring and Conjuring Two for Friday. How was that? They're good. I mean. <laughs> I feel like anybody that talks about modern horror movies, they're like, oh, have you seen The Conjuring? And I'm like, yeah, they're fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like the first one more than I like the second one. I, yeah, I mean, they're fine. I like them. They're not bad. I'll watch them again if somebody wants to watch them. I, I guess I'm just like, there's so many other horror movies out there. It, it baffles me that people just keep gravitating back to this franchise especially now that they've got like the annabelle movies which i walked out of the first annabelle movie actually and now they've got the nun yeah and like they're gonna do another one like it's ridiculous yeah Um, for me i think this is one of the reasons maybe that i'm not into horror movies is it feels like there there's a very like the aughts and whatever the teens were in now yeah just have a brand of horror movie that I find uninteresting almost right from the start. Yeah, there's I have a huge problem with movies that rely only on jump scares. And the Conjuring is pretty like the Conjuring series, the the one and two are actually pretty good about keeping atmosphere and then infusing a few jump scares here and there especially with the first one. There are scenes in the first one that I actually think are like legit terrifying for like seven minutes at a time. Hmm. Um, And I actually think like the first one, I think I give a four star Um, and I will stand by that. I actually think it is a pretty decent movie. Um, But the second one, it just, it gets too big. Like why do we have exploding glass and ghostly nuns flying around and stuff like that? Like there's no subtlety to the horror movies anymore. Um, And it just doesn't work for me as well as some other ones. Uh, talking about subtlety though, I'm going to segue right into my next one, which was, uh, one of my favorite ones I've reviewed this year. It's been a long time since I've seen this one too. Uh, I've seen it once before, but, uh, Rosemary's baby. I just rewatched again last week and holy cow, is this movie good? Um, if you're not, if you haven't watched, uh, Polanski's apartment trilogy, you really need to do that too. That's the tenant 
Rosemary's Baby, and Repulsion. Um, and all three of those are fantastic. But uh, Rosemary's Baby is probably the one that's best known out of all of those. Um, and it's about Rosemary and she and her struggling actor husband move into this new apartment. Um, and their neighbors next door are kind of weird and overbearing. And they start to have yeah. or they like get with child and she has like a horrible pregnancy like everything is just awful for her she's constantly in pain she starts to hear stuff behind the walls and stuff like that um and this movie is all about what you don't see on camera like it's all about the implied stuff yeah so like you as a viewer kind of start to pick up on what's happening um and rosemary starts to put it together i mean i'm gonna give a little bit of spoilers because so it kind of like it's playing with the idea of um, when you're not able to put your finger on, like if you ever see anything, then it, then, then you no longer, th- cause it doesn't Rosemary and her husband like have disagreements about what's going on. Well, her husband's in on it, which makes it oh, even right, worse. Right. Oh, man. Um, so long since I've seen yeah. This. Um, so yeah, th- like I was saying, it's, it's the stuff that's off screen that is the most terrifying because there's a scene when Rosemary comes home, like right after uh, she has this weird dream um, where she like pretty much gets raped by this beast thing. Um, and like the next day, she says something to her husband about like how weird the neighbors are or something like that. And he just gets this. Lo- oh, no. You know what it is? It's she gets a phone call and uh, the actor who was going to be cast in the lead uh, for her. Uh, role her husband auditioned for just went inexplicably blind um and she tells her husband that and the look on the husband's face when he realizes that oh shoot i'm messing with forces that i didn't realize how dark they were the look on his face when he realizes that is Mm. fantastic and after that it's all of the little hints and stuff like that so you start to realize that uh the neighbors next door might be part of a coven of witches um and that they're trying to pretty much bring the antichrist to uh the world but it's it's a fantastic movie yeah it is a really dark topic um i mean we're talking about horror movies here yeah (laughs) um how about some lighthearted horror movies yeah but um probably one of the most well-crafted horror movies i've ever seen and i i put it right up there with the shining as far as well-crafted i wouldn't say it's as scary as the shining but it is still really really messed up it's way disquieting too like i kept thinking about that movie for days afterwards so um that one and then uh elementary actually uh which i talked to you guys about this one today it's uh kind of a fantasy based on a uh i believe it's like a, a certain sect of spain where this folklore originated from yeah and it's about uh, this blacksmith. It's called Arimentary, the Blacksmith and the Devil. And it's about a blacksmith that it's a folktale about a blacksmith that captures a demon and holds him in like his hut for a long time. Hmm. Um, and this little girl kind of wanders onto his property and the demon tries to tempt him, uh, her into letting him out pretty much. Um, it's really well done, actually. Like we just stumbled upon, across this on Netflix. Um, the production design is pretty freaking incredible. Um, there's a lot of dark humor in this too, 
like uh, i mean it's a folktale so they've got like weird little quirks yeah. and stuff like that uh like the demons are all compelled to count chickpeas if they see them so there's a scene oh, when yeah. <laughs> when literally they like throw chickpeas and then just like keep messing them up in order to keep the yeah the there's demon, like a, there's yeah. a lot of weird uh like folktale tricks and stuff about yeah. like trapping demons by making them count things yeah so yeah it's it's a really interesting uh kind of weird movie but I actually recommend it. Like I gave it a 3.5 out of five. So that's like a seven out of 10. Um, not, not a perfect movie by any means, but it kind of had a uh, del Toro feel to it. Like the production design and everything cool. like that. Um, the darkness to it. And then also involving like the kids and the fairy tale too. So, uh, well, I watched, uh, Europa or Zen Europa or Zen Europa. It's, uh, t- called different things based on where it was released. Okay. Uh, it's a Lars von Trier movie. Nice. Um, and I like Lars von Trier. I know that he's a pretty controversial guy. Um, More so recently, I would say. Yeah. And some of his movies are definitely rough. Yeah. Um, This is up there with some of my favorites, though. Okay. I really enjoyed this one. It takes place um, just post-World War II in Germany. Okay. And it is about a, an American who – he's a bit naive. Um, he goes over there. Uh, not – He's not like I got to say from the start, because this is very important. He's not a Nazi sympathizer because that's something that kind of comes into play over the course of the movie. And that's something Lars Van Trier has been accused of, too, by the way. He yeah. got banned from cans, cans, canes for like, what, three, four years. Yeah. Like one know. of his films was not allowed to go there. This movie's uh, OK. I think what's great about this movie is this main character because he is uh, what his idea is that a horrible tragedy has befallen the planet. Uh, And what this country and what this world needs is an abundance of love. Okay. And uh, acceptance and like forgiveness. Okay. Uh, And so this American comes and basically just wants to live there. He ends up getting a job as a a night coachman on uh, the railways. But uh, as he starts meeting different people there, he gets drawn into because he's an American. um, There are American agents that want his help with things uh, because he appears to like some like to a hardcore like Nazi remnant. Um, he appears to be sympathetic to them. So they try to recruit him to help them as well. Okay. <laughs> um, there is a girl that he falls in love with who is, you know, was, has not been honest with him about her involvement with the final solution. Uh, there's just all these sorts of things going on, but what's, what's great is, Every once in a while, the veneer of everyday life um, is like pulled back and the reality of the Holocaust gets put in front of everybody in a very intentional way. So like, for instance, there's this part. I can't remember what kind of contract it is they're negotiating or whatever, but um, they need uh, the Germans. They, they need to get something signed. And uh, so they they have this con- and it's all this like long proceeding that we've heard talks about and everything leading up to it. And then all of a sudden it just stops and they're like, oh, the Jew is here. And you're like, what? 
apparently there was a law at that time that depend that uh depending on the circumstances and what kind of uh contract was being signed uh, a representative of the jewish community had to be there to witness it being signed so that if that other person was a like somehow complicit in the final solution in the uh, Nazi regime, mm -hmm. there'd be somebody there to identify them and say, mm -hmm. oh, wait, no, you can't like enter into business anymore. This guy's a Nazi. Arrest him. Yeah, that's crazy. And so it's like in the middle of these like contract negotiations, all of a sudden there's this moment where it's like, all right. And for a minute here, we're all going to think about what we've done for a while. Yeah. We're all going to feel terrible because we realize what a horrible thing we let happen in our country. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. That's brilliant, actually, too. That's really cool. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Um, I I enjoyed it way more than I thought I would, actually. Yeah. Like, because, I mean, Lars von Trier, you don't go into one of his movies, at least I don't, thinking. Expecting to be happy? Yeah, and it's not a happy film. <laughs> yeah. It's not. But uh, I think that, it like, those moments were really, really great. And also hearing people talk about, um like confessing things that they've done and hearing people struggle to forgive or understand or yeah. whatever their reaction to that is, was just really interesting. Cause I, I think we do focus a lot um, in film on world war two and um, like the battles, the Holocaust, like all that stuff. Yeah. But there's really not many stories other than like the Nuremberg trials and things like that, that are about what life was like after world war two. Yeah. And I think that was really fascinating to see. Yeah. No, and that sounds awesome. Beautifully shot. Yeah. I mean. Lars it, is great, though. <laughs> so. Dude, this is a movie where I was like, oh, that's why people are into trains. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, for the first time, I understood why people, they're like, that thing is amazing. That's cool. Yeah, that sounds like one I have to check out. I, I'm a, I'm a fan of Lars Van Trier, but like I've only seen, I think I've only seen his Depression trilogy, and like I which have, ones are in that? Uh, it's uh, Melancholia, Antichrist, and uh, Nymphomaniac. So okay. his, his probably well, Melancholia is not that bad. I haven't bad. seen Nymphomaniac, but I've seen Melancholia and Antichrist. Yeah, I like both of those. Yeah, I mean they're both good. Um, Melancholia has got some of the most beautiful slow motion photography oh, i've ever seen in even that movie. opening scene like just for oh. the credits and stuff like that it's gorgeous but um yeah i yeah i need to get more well versed in him like i have breaking the waves on my shelf but i just haven't watched it yet <laughs> like it's but well, van trier is a hard guy to like have get a in the party to have a von trier party <laughs> 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 that one's pretty depressing too from what i've read so yeah, like exactly. that's why i've been putting it off like, like oh man do i want to be depressed for a week I don't now know, what do you serve at a Lars von Trier party. <laughs> I don't know. Plus I don't know if I yeah. <laughs> just the most gruesome things you can think of. Yeah, right. I don't even know if I'd go to some of those because it's just like you want to ugly cry at the end of some of them. Yeah, it's not a movie that you want to be watching with somebody with people at all. Like I'd never watch an Infomaniac with people. Oh. That movie would be the most uncomfortable viewing in the world. I feel like. Cool. So yeah, did yeah. you have any? Did you have any more movies to go over? Uh, actually, no. That's it for me this week. Okay. So it's not. Oh, oh shoot, that's right. Yeah, we get to talk tell. about my favorite movie. <laughs> so last week, after we got done recording, um, my friend Jared uh, and Seth and I watched Persona. Heck yeah. Which is Seth's favorite movie. That is true. Uh, not all of our show and tells from here on out are going to be our favorite movies, clearly. Uh, we only have two show and tells. Yeah, so. <laughs> but this was... Uh, 
this was one that's been on my list forever, but I, I wanted to wait to watch it until Seth was able to watch it with me. Uh, it's a Bergman film. Yeah. Uh, do you know what year it was? 66. 66. Okay. Yeah. This movie was fantastic. Oh, man. Uh, I... It's about an, an actress who she loses her voice on stage for a mm-hmm. moment and then kind of just shuts down. Yeah. Her and, name is Elizabeth Vogler, too. Yeah. She's way. she's uh, in it kind of follows her. And the other girl's name was Sister Alma. Alma. Yep. And Alma is uh, assigned to her as like a caretaker nurse um, uh, because she's not responding to anybody, but she also clearly does not have anything physically wrong with her. Yeah, it's unclear. Uh, yeah, and the nurse even acknowledges that. She's like, uh, I'm not sure why you're quiet right now, but you play this part out until you need it to play out kind of thing. So Yeah, and so she's totally quiet, but she's able to eat and drink and fun- like function, but she's being very reserved in, in as much as like not even wanting to look at people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she doesn't say anything. Yeah, and through her conversation, well, she doesn't really have conversations, but through, yeah, this is the weird part of the movie. <laughs> yeah, Sister uh, Alma just talks to her throughout yeah, the Yeah, Sister Alma kind of just, like, she's a super talkative person. Yeah. And, and so she just kind of talks and says her thoughts and then kind of watches uh, Vogler and is like, uh, trying to pick up on signals that maybe she agrees or doesn't agree and... Um, it's just like a very tense social situation in the beginning where she's not really getting any feedback. Mm-hmm. But then, like, and this is what's great about Bergman is you're never really sure throughout the film how much of what's happening is in Vogel, in um, Alma's head and how much of it is actually happening. Mm-hmm. Because so much of what she is supposing Vogler agrees with or disagrees with is only her opinion of what she thinks she agrees or disagrees with because she's not really giving her much feedback over the course of the film it becomes apparent that vogler is actually trying to dominate her psychologically yeah yeah yeah, i guess it's it's a weird there are so many interpretations of this movie too um but i mean it's their their personalities kind of meld together because like vogler is pretty much a blake slate throughout the entire thing um she's just absorbing everything that happens and she's kind of studying alma as this thing is going on and their personalities kind of start to meld together and it doesn't really work for alma i think um especially after she finds this letter um, where Elizabeth pretty much says, yeah, Alma's just really talkative and she has these deep rooted fears. Uh, and she has like these, uh, she reveals information that Alma thought was private. Yeah. To her. Is she married? Is it it's to her psychiatrist or yeah, it's to her husband. Yeah. Mr. Vogler. Um, and, and Alma feels betrayed. Yeah. And she, yeah. So she just kind of goes back to the Island and, uh, like she breaks a glass and just lets it sit there so that, uh, Vogler steps on it. Um, and it's just kind of, it kind of escalates where it's like the two kind of tiffing back and forth, um, until like neither one can kind of bear being with each other anymore. Yeah. Um, but it's a really interesting, um, because of the, I mean, first off performance. I mean, there's so many levels to talk about on this movie that are so great. The performances are 
so good because you uh, they have to portray the idea that they have their own personality, but then somebody else's personality is fighting for control of their body. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, uh, and then also fight back. It's, yeah. It's, it must've been amazingly difficult to, well, to act. Yeah. And then one of the most accepted, uh, theories about this film is that, uh, Elizabeth and Omar actually won and that their personalities, it's actually two different personalities fighting for one kind of uh, being. So, right. like, if you can look at all these different things that kind of show that um, from the very beginning when we first meet uh, Alma and Elizabeth when they're in the, the hospital room and it's just a blank slate. Like, literally, yeah. the only thing that's there is just that and the television. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's a bunch of different shots where uh, Bergman frames the shot so that the one character will be covering up another character, but like another character's arm will be sticking out or something like that. So that it looks like the two of them are kind of conjoined into one being. Yeah. Um, and then, Oh man, there are so many different like little visual clues throughout, but uh, towards the end of the film, we meet Mr. Vogler who comes back and he's blind and we haven't been told that before either. Um, and Elizabeth, or he talks to Elizabeth, but it's Alma that talks back to him. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously, like, he doesn't say anything because it's Alma and Elizabeth are both one. There's there's so many layers to this yeah. movie. It's hard to actually, like, put into words how complicated it is. Yeah, I think one of my favorite moments of the film is, uh, I believe it's the first time that Alma comes into Elizabeth. And it's a close-up, and she's laying down. Or maybe it's not the first time, but she's laying down. And it is just a long oh, close-up yeah. shot of Elizabeth. And the way that Bergman is slowly racking the focus on her face and then bringing shadow and light slowly um, or down. It's down. Kinda, yeah, bringing making it, it down. darker. But it's, also tra but it's also traveling like – from the front of her face towards the back of her face. And it's like, you get to see every contour mm -hmm. of this woman's face. Yeah. Uh, in a way that you don't normally get to do just in a close up because of the way that he's moving the camera and the shadow around. Yeah. To give you glimp glimpses of every nook and cranny of her face. Yeah. And I feel like that moment, First off, I was just like, whoa, <laughs> that was an amazing, the best close-up I've ever seen in any movie ever. Uh, but then also thinking about it thematically later in the film, that that is what Alma is doing. She's analyzing and studying and trying to understand to elicit any sort of information that she can out of this blank face. Yeah. That is not giving her any information. Yeah. Uh, it's, I don't know, is a fantastic shot. Yeah. There, um, yeah, there's a lot of great shots like that in the movie, too. I, I think oh, when, one of my, chase, when she's chasing? Uh, like across the beach you're talking yeah. about? Yeah, that's a great shot, too. Um, I think one of my favorite scenes is honestly just the opening monologue. Or the opening montage, not monologue. Yeah. Um, where it's just a bunch of different shots of images 
Um, but it's pretty much, uh, like it starts with just light pretty much. Uh, and it's kind of like, this is you coming into existence for me. I've always interpreted like the opening montage is like a soul coming into being, or like a person slowly becoming aware of their surroundings mm. because it's like, you get the light. So it's pretty much, this is the light turned on. This is you first becoming aware of your own existence. And then there's like shots of spiders and like, uh, cartoons and stuff like that so it's like your fears oh and there's a shot of like a penis too so it's like your fears and desires um like physical desire or whatever yeah um and then you see like cartoons and it's like upside down so it's like all right this is you as a child starting to understand the world a little bit more yeah um but you fully don't grasp it and then finally it kind of fades into uh just pictures of like bodies and it's like this is you finally represent or understanding death and understanding sacrifice because they have a picture of like the nails getting nailed into yeah. jesus's hands um and then finally it ends on this little kid and it's just this little kid and he's uncomfortable. He's trying to get comfortable, trying to get warm underneath a yeah. blanket. And he just looks at this book. And actually, I, I read this thing out about this book, too. And it, the book is actually I can't remember the title of it, but it's supposed to be uh, it's it's about a split personality person mm. or something like that. But he opens up the book and then he looks directly at the camera and it does a reverse on him. And it shows him kind of putting his hand up against a screen with faces. And for me, that was always as a little child, you're trying to figure out who you're going to be and reaching out to touch the person in front of you is you trying to mimic the people that you see around you kind of thing. So it's you mm. defining what your personality is going to be like, even from the base, uh, like from your early childhood years. And then it just kind of goes into the actual movie from there. But there's so many different things. Like there's so many different weird Bergman tricks that he does. Like he'll stop the movie right in the middle of it. Yeah. And there's just kind of like a weird, like the film jumps off the reel and like, Oh man, it's so yeah, great. The film but, breaks and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I could, I could talk about this yeah. movie forever, but I mean, honestly, it's impossible to describe unless you really see it. And I feel like every time you go back to it, you get something different out of it too. Yeah. I think it's totally, I mean, it's, I mean, you can't say it's an easy watch. No, it's not. <laughs> no. but I think that a person who is reasonably well-traveled in movies, who's got the, got a little bit of a warning of like, Hey, there's some weird montage stuff at the start. Mm -hmm. But I mean, like, I think that other than that, the yeah. movie is like, the, I don't want to say accessible because I, a lot of times people I, like imply that they can understand it, but with the word accessible, but like I could see my dad watching this and enjoying it. Well, yeah, because I feel like it, it's accessible in a way. Because it's accessible, it's accessible in its, on the, in on the top level. Yeah, like there are so many layers to this movie, but the top layer still has something profound to say. You yeah, can and keep still, digging deeper. And it's still followable yeah. and, and enjoyable to watch. Yeah. Like, I don't think, like, I started picking up on stuff, like, the fourth or fifth time through still, and I'm just like, holy cow, like, how much did Bergman put into this movie, really? Like, I think... There are things that he put in that probably he didn't even realize like, yeah. would have meaning further down the line. But, uh, yeah, it's a fantastic movie. So that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, yeah. We'll be back on Monday with uh, – we're going to be talking about our top five Halloween films, uh, getting ready for some celebrations coming up. And uh, Seth has been doing a lot of horror movie watching. So What? 
<laughs> Finding out what your top five is going to be is it, it intrigues me because I still don't know what it is. So <laughs> I, th- I think it's pretty easy to guess, but that's okay. We'll talk about it next week on uh, True Myth Media, though. So that's okay. All right. So with that, we will say <laughs> farewell, friends. Peace.